Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Purpose of Existence. In this podcast, Eckhart answers questions from a live audience on a wide range of topics like how much of our lives are within our control? Can we really plan for the future? How do we deal with the pain body and also stay conscious? Eckhart says, if we align with the present moment and pay attention to our state of consciousness, the future will look after itself. It's only by embracing the here and now that we have an opportunity to live our lives with clarity and purpose, and we must learn to accept each moment as if we had chosen it, because you did. Hello, Nickard. My question has two parts. I like to know how much of our life is in our control, and do we really need to plan for the future or just trust what is and have faith that everything happened as it's supposed to happen? Okay, thank you. It's often that uh, one answer covers several questions. (laughs) There may even be the universal answer that covers all questions. (laughs) Would be nice. (laughs) Uh, In control, well, if you try to control the future of your life, that will be quite frustrating to control what's going to happen But you can control, not so much control, but you can take responsibility for the present moment, your state of consciousness at this moment. You can pay attention to what your state of consciousness is at this moment. And you may sometimes find that your state of consciousness at this moment is one of not complete identification with thinking on emotional movement, but a certain identification with thought or form or a dysfunctional state of negativity, dwelling in negativity. But when you realize that, it's not totally dysfunctional. If you're really dysfunctional, it means you're totally identified, you don't know it. In extreme form, the people who are really mad have no idea that they're mad. If you know that you're mad, you're not completely mad. (laughs) If you know that you're identified with a negative state, it has arisen, let's say you're dwelling in fearful thinking about what might happen to you or probably will happen to you or what you're going to lose or thinking about the past and you realize that this is what's happening, then of course there's already some presence there. And then you can take responsibility and be the awareness rather than be the thought. That's the identification with thought. 
and one could almost say identification with presence or awareness, which is who you really are. You are the awareness. So taking responsibility for this moment, get this moment right, which means be one with the isness of this moment, then you're getting it right. <laughs> so whatever is arising around you, it is as it is. So there's a non-resistance to the isness of this moment. And whenever you live in the state of non-resistance, but oneness with the isness, even the isness inside, if an emotion is there, that's what is. But there's also an awareness. You have to accept what is internally or internally, otherwise you suffer. So you accept what is, you become the space for what is, and that is the only difference between an ordinary human and a spiritual master, is that the master is one with the isness of this moment. That's the, the Zen master, for example, the simplicity of that is just completely at one with whatever is arising. There's no knowledge in that, it's not needed. But whatever ne is needed in that state of oneness comes out of that state of oneness. So if you take responsibility for the present moment, that's, then the future, of course, looks after itself because it's no more than another present moment or the one eternal present moment. Future as such does not exist, as you well know, because you haven't encountered it ever, nor has anybody else. There's no such thing as future except as a thought. Future is a thought. It can't be more than a thought, otherwise you would have experienced it somewhere. It must have come at some point, <laughs> but it can't because it's future. <laughs> so there is no future except as a mind form. When you try to control the future, you are trapped in certain mind forms, not knowing it, and of course, it's impossible. You can't do that. So you have no control over the future, but you can take responsibility for the present moment. That's the future. The future already looks after itself. Take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow will take thought for itself, or something like that, whatever translation you look at. <laughs> <laughs> so that was one part. What was the, there was another part to your question. Should we trust and have faith that everything happens as it's supposed to happen? Okay. The powerful faith is to trust that whatever is happening now is fine. You trust in the isness because the totality of the universe has brought about the form that this moment takes. Everything that happens in the universe has innumerable causes. If you try to trace it back, you have to go back to the beginning of all creation. So whatever form this moment takes in your consciousness is there because the totality of the universe has brought about this particular form, which is not going to last. But at this moment, it has taken this form. And you trust that that's what is, and you don't ask, why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve that? Why do bad things always happen to me? It's not fair. I wish I was somewhere else. I wish I were somebody else. <laughs> I wish I didn't have to live with these people. I, I wish I was doing a different job. Or you can put a sticker on your car, I'd rather be fishing. <laughs> 
golfing. But this I'd rather be is one of the many ways in which the, the mind denies the present moment and, and creates suffering out of that. And so all that is a lack of faith. One could use that. I sometimes say, I probably wrote it somewhere, accept each moment as if you had chosen it. Well, each moment really means this moment because there's only ever this one moment. So let's say, accept this moment, which is the eternal now, accept this moment as if you had chosen it. That's the state of alignment with the isness of, of life. I'm not telling people, well, if this happened to you, you must have chosen it on some level. I'm not telling them that, although it's a new age teaching, it's not perhaps entirely wrong, but I'm not saying that because I don't want to make them angry. <laughs> and it's not entirely correct. It's more helpful to say, accept it as if you had chosen it. You don't need to convince yourself, okay, I've got this illness, I chose that, why, <laughs> why, why? Or feel extremely guilty, I have failed. I failed deeply, I must have done something really wrong. After 10 years of meditation, I'm still getting ill. Why? In some teachings that are otherwise beautiful teachings, they emphasize so much the physical healing aspect that's a little bit unbalanced, and anybody who follows those teachings and then develops some kind of illness immediately feels guilty, which creates another big problem on top of your illness. I'm not good enough. So we don't need that. All you need is accept this moment as if you had chosen it and then see how life d develops for you, how life evolves, how life unfolds. If you just practice, you have nothing to lose. Just say, for one day, half a day, <laughs> okay, I'm just going to try this out. <laughs> I'll accept whatever arises, whatever comes into my life, any person, any situation, any event, I'll immediately internally be aligned, I'm going to be aligned with it. And, and as if I had chosen whatever happens, I'm going to practice that for the next three hours. Now you may not even succeed for three hours. Well, you probably will, but some people may not. And, and then see how that, how, how you experience Life, when, that is your state of consciousness, of acceptance. And you'll see an enormous improvement, not only in the way you feel, you will also see an improvement in the way in which things are reflected back to you by other people. You will see an improvement in how other people relate to you. You will even see an improvement, this may not be as immediate, in the, the way in which events happen around you, if you're in, in true alignment with what is. And that's a truly miraculous thing to experience. Now, but for that, you have, may have to do a little bit more than two or three hours. <laughs> but even just to get you a, a taste of it, start with one hour, 10 minutes. <laughs> if there's a place that you dislike, let's say, 
Well, I don't know what you dislike, a noisy traffic uh, city scene or supermarket or the shopping mall. Well, some people love shopping malls, so don't use that. Wherever it is that you, you don't like being there, and then, okay, but let's see if I go there and say, I accept this moment as if I had chosen it, this noise, these people, these surroundings. Amazing thing to, to and something you'll notice when you do that, the, the as if practice, your thinking mind slows down and something opens up that's deeper than thinking, awareness. Because when you have nothing to argue about, there isn't that much to think about. <laughs> when you're not, you don't, you're not in disagreement with the present moment. <laughs> and your ego gets deflated because you have nothing to complain about. And if the ego has nothing to complain about, it goes... And of course it may react because it notices it's getting weaker and then suddenly, before you know it, you'll go into, oh, I hate this. The ego can come back and grab you again, but that's fine. It's all part of the practice. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. So... The most powerful thing, of course, is the oneness with the present moment. Now, a secondary thing that's connected with that is when you do things, work of whatever kind, any action of whatever kind, is not to primarily perform the action as a means to an end but see if you can be active as an end in itself. So it's not primarily, simple example, you are walking or driving to the supermarket and do your shopping. The walking or driving is not less important than the arriving at the supermarket. And the walking around the supermarket is not less important than finishing your shopping. And then arriving back home with your shopping, the journey back home is not less important than, because that's the old consciousness, the unconsciousness, is always the next moment is the one that's more important that I need to get to, but I just need to get, to, to, to get this thing out of the way so that I can arrive there. So when you're driving to the supermarket, you need to get the driving out of the way. When you're in the supermarket getting your food, you need to get that out of the way because you want to already be home. And, and when you're driving home, you just need to be home already. And when you're home already, there'll be something else. You want to get this out of the way as quickly as possible because it's, it's not just not fulfilling. Of course, the next thing is not going to be fulfilling either because the entire mindset is the present moment is never fulfilling. <laughs> it's never good enough. The next one is always the better one. <laughs> 
So that, so that means the doing is not a means to, not to treat the doing as a means to an end always, but as an end in itself. That's connected with the practice of alignment with the present moment. So it can be, that's the active part of it. The passive part of it, the seemingly passive part of it, is to just to embrace the isness of whatever is arising in this moment. And that's how you control your life. <laughs> to the ego, it looks as if you were as if your life were completely out of control, but it's not. <laughs> you know, when you say at every moment, um, think about it as you have chosen that moment, I'm going to think about it when my teenage son's arguing with me next day. See if that helps me. Yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, Eckhart. So I've been studying acting for the last little while. And um, I, I understand how presence is important in acting and any kind of creativity, how that's connected. But many acting teachers talk about drawing on past memories of painful experiences to bring forth authentic emotional expression when it's needed in a scene during a performance. So in a way, it's like they're calling on their pain body sort of to fulfill this creative need. So my question is, what is your perspective on voluntarily revisiting memories of past pain for the purpose of seeking authenticity in the art of acting? Oh, okay, thanks. Well, usually I don't recommend visiting the past, but there are some practices that can temporarily be helpful one is, now, for the time being, I, from little, I won't talk about acting until the second part of my answer. I didn't know that until I said it. <laughs> <laughs> Some people have a very heavy pain body that takes them over. The, the past pain body, as most of you know, I call the accumulation of past pain that still lives in you in latent or manifested form. Some people's pain body is so heavy that they cannot stay aware when it's, it becomes so suddenly that it's impossible for them to, to stay aware as it explodes into their lives, for especially anger, which can it, some people come so suddenly that it takes them over and they lose presence immediately and they wake up whenever that wave of anger has subsided, and say, oh, what was that? It's gone. Well, they were totally in the grip of it. And for those people, I would sometimes recommend to relive in their mind a past episode, that something that made them angry, and then experience the arising of the emotional field. And because it's not the actual situation, but a reliving of the situation, it won't be quite as powerful as the actual situation, but powerful enough for you to practice staying present as the awareness in the background while the energy arises. And that can be a very helpful practice for those who otherwise cannot stay present. So if you can do that by reliving a past episode of total loss of awareness, you can then stay aware while that happens. And then perhaps there may be enough awareness next time, still a remnant of awareness, 
even though it probably will still be happening. In the, now, to, in the case of acting, that would be a similar thing, but you would be doing it for a different reason. So you have to see whether you can relinquish that energy when you've come to the end of the acting, if it stays with you for a long period of time, or you notice that you enter certain negative moods after you've done your acting, which stay with you for hours or days, then it's, I would say it's not worth doing that. Then there may be another way of generating that emotion rather than visiting the past in you. If it can be relinquished as soon as you don't need it anymore, then it could work. It could even help you with the awareness practice. If you voluntarily, consciously evoke a past emotion, which then, of course, is no longer a past emotion, it becomes a present emotion, whether or not there is another way of generating the emotion you need in acting, I don't know. I haven't done any acting. You have to find out for yourself whether you can so completely believe, perhaps, in the situation that you're acting out, which, by the way, is just like normal life, um, if you can so completely believe in the script that whatever it is you're acting out and you're so completely in it that that situation itself, that of course is the script, is making you angry because you're so in it, perhaps you don't need to revisit the past. I don't know. I don't know whether I could generate anger if I tried acting. I don't know how I would do it all. So, <laughs> I may try it, I'll let you know what happens. <laughs> Let's see, what, what could I remember? <laughs> There's also the reverse where teacher has, an acting teacher I was listening to said that you could imagine a possibility of something happening that would be devastating to generate that kind of an emotion, yes. which is sort yes. of... Yes, that's right. And again, you have to be careful to see whether that lingers in your energy field after the acting for a long period of time, uh, which is not good. If a negative, if you're, if you're in the grip of a negative mood after being in the acting in some drama, let's say, and you stay, you find yourself being in a negative mood for days afterwards or weeks, <laughs> then you'll you'll have to see how you can cleanse through meditation practice through awareness practice or some other means, perhaps including some physical practice, combining some physical activity with presence so that you can cleanse yourself immediately afterwards. Yeah, maybe using those strategies is okay, but only if you, your primary one is presence first. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Hi, Eckhart. I have a sibling who is uh, struggling with paranoid thoughts and delusions, and um, he doesn't think there's anything wrong, so he doesn't 
want help, and I want to know what I can do, if there's anything I can do to help him. Yeah. Perhaps this answer also has two parts. I have a little bit of personal experience because I also had a close relative who suffered from what is usually called paranoia. I see it as it's just an, uh, an intensification of normal egoic state. It becomes much more intense so that you see that it's actually madness, a form of madness. It begins in normal egoic state as suspecting other people's motives. What does he really want of me? It's often projecting negative intentions onto other people when they aren't there at all looking suspiciously at, at strangers that you meet, suspicious about where you are. These are still considered quite normal. And I could see that because this person, my relative, I observed her for a few years when she was still considered normal, but I already was aware of they have very strong ego, always suspecting others of, of not being honest and so on. There was always that looking out. But that was quite normal. Many people have that. They're just distrustful of life and other people. And then after a few years, I was no longer living there, but I came for a visit and realized by then she had gone further and had actually already been taken to a mental home and then come out again and then had very strong delusions, total misinterpretations of life around her. And then whenever I visited, then I would be with her. And whenever I saw her, I could feel myself going into an intensified state of presence whenever I was with her. And she was telling me about what was going on, mostly fantasies. And I could see the enormous amount of fear that was the basis of her state. There was so much fear in her that her mind, and this I believe is the basis of especially what is called paranoia, which always sees a threat somewhere. Her mind attempted to interpret the fear that she felt, which comes from the state of disconnectedness from being, the state of ego. And the mind attempting to understand and explain this fear had to find some explanation for it. So it created some external explanation because it needed to explain it. This is, by the way, also how many dreams happen in that way. We believe often that the dream, let's say we are dreaming of some monster is trying to devour us and we are in panic. We believe that the dream causes the panic, but in many cases, perhaps all cases, the feeling causes the dream. And so that happens in a dream, and that can also happen in paranoia. And by the way, that is also in so-called normal consciousness, an element of that is present also in normal consciousness of uh, attempting explanations for bad feelings instead of facing the feelings directly, trying to find some explanation of why I feel this. So something you can do is not actually a doing, is to just listen to him in intense presence. 
so that there mustn't be a single thought in your head, especially not a single emotion, because if there's an emotion in you, this heavy emotional entity will, will get in there immediately and grab onto the emotion and wants more of that, especially any reaction. Or deny what he's saying. Of course, the moment you deny something, you become part of it. So that all that doesn't work, nor, nor do you need to agree to simply total openness. If you spend more time with him, if you can bring intense presence into your interaction with him, your relationship with him, that may be a help because it could awaken that awareness in him. If he can see that there's something that is delusional, even in a moment of a glimpse of lucidity, then perhaps the awareness can slowly grow in him. There's no guarantee, but it's something that is a beautiful thing to do, if you want to call it doing. It's good for you and it's good for him. Second part of the answer is, and it's not easy, but in some cases you need to allow other humans to go through their karmic suffering. You do what you can, and there's always a limit to what you can do. And beyond that, there needs to come an acceptance. It's the same kind of acceptance that you would practice in your own, if something were happening to you, something difficult to bear, what used to be called in medieval Christianity, they called it the cross. You have to bear your own, everybody has their cross, and in some people's crosses are very heavy. So you ex com bring complete acceptance, and this applies to not to you, it applies to sometimes parents who can see that their teenage sons or daughters are doing dangerous and mad things. They do all they can, but there is a limit. You can't put them into prison. You can't lock the door. So there's a limit to what you can do. Beyond that, there needs to come to bring an acceptance. Every human has his or her own learning process and the enormous differences in the way in which humans learn and grow. So you also may have to do it with your parents. If your parents may be deeply in the grip of ego, they may disapprove of who you are, they may all, again, acceptance, all have their own learning process. It's particularly hard if you see somebody close to you who you can see they're making dreadful mistakes, but, and you can see that they're going to suffer through that, but it's also true that making mistakes is one of the most important things that a human being can do in their growth. Without making mistakes, nothing much would happen. Creating conflict, Something must go wrong in your life. As you know, without something going wrong, there's no movie. You can't watch a movie and nothing goes wrong. <laughs> Who would want to see that? <laughs> so while, while life, I mean, every movie you see, if you go to the very, down to the very basics of the movies, means, well, there are these people and then something goes wrong. <laughs> Otherwise, nobody would pay money to, to watch something not going wrong. 
and life in its present evolutionary state is similar, although we are moving out of that, but many humans are still in that, and it's the wrong is not wrong, it's just we call it wrong, and there comes a deepening through suffering and to learning. So we don't know what his path is, but I would suggest that you, whenever you are with him, you make it into very intense presence that's the most beautiful gift you can give him, is the gift of your presence. And the gift of your presence may draw forth his presence also, but that's not the main thing. It's just, you're just offering the gift. Thank you, Eckhart, that was very helpful. Thank you. Do I have to give up wearing makeup in order to reach enlightenment? (laughs) (laughs) The question I may be concerned about being identified with externals, external appearance. The problem is not the makeup or the clothes that you wear, but the question is where your sense of identity, your sense of self comes from. Is it derived primarily from the way you look, which would include makeup, it would include the shape of your body, which would include the clothes that you wear, If that is the basis for your sense of identity, then would I recommend that you wear old clothes, remove your makeup, or do something to the shape of your body? No, these things are just externals. The identification is the problem. So where do you derive your sense of who you are, your sense of I, your sense of self? Where does that come from? Does it come from the way you look? Or does it come from a deeper place within yourself? Does it come from thoughts that things you tell yourself about yourself? Or does it come from a deeper place that is beyond thought? What really matters is going to the deeper place where you realize that who you essentially are is not the form, the external form, nor even the psychological form of the the me structure which consists of thoughts, but the consciousness that's behind all that. You are the awareness, you are the stillness, you are the presence. And once you know that, and then you can play around in the world of form and wear makeup or not wear makeup. It makes no difference. You can wear nice clothes or you can wear any kind of clothes. It doesn't make any difference. You may still want to wear nice clothes without being identified. It's perfectly fine. You won't be obsessed anymore. There's a difference between enjoying and obsessing. So it's not the externals that matter. It matters where your sense of I comes from. So if your sense of I comes from identification with form, it will lead to more and more suffering because your external form is going to deteriorate. Oh, you didn't know that? (laughs) Well, it's maybe not taught at school, but the external form gradually deteriorates, and so no matter how much makeup you use, it eventually can't be hidden anymore that it deteriorates, and that's fine. And if you had not been identified with the form, it wouldn't matter that much. You can actually, it's quite a pleasant thing even to watch how gradually 
you can hold a photo of yourself next to a mirror. That, oh, that was me 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Oh. <laughs> and that's not frightening if, you, if your sense of who you are comes from a place of the, the formless consciousness that's very peaceful. And you can even then allow the gradual decay, really, that's what it is, of the form to happen. It's, it will still be very peaceful. In fact, you become more peaceful. So where does your sense of self come from? That is the question. The makeup is not the problem or the clothes. What do you think of the Occupy Wall Street movement? <laughs> Could this be a vehicle for real change in human consciousness? Several people have asked that. Of course, Occupy Wall Street is now has, has spread, of course, to many other places, not just Wall Street. It's now called the Occupy Movement. It was even in Vancouver. And in a little corner there, there were a few Buddhist monks meditating. And a reporter came and asked them, what are you doing here? And they said, we are occupying the present moment. <laughs> And of course, that's part of the answer. The movement prerequisite for the success of whatever that is, because they probably don't quite know what success means yet, in, because they're not focused on actually what exactly it is that they want. A prerequisite for success would be that the participants occupy the present moment. That is the basis. And perhaps some of them do. They are, perhaps some of them are there. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. We see structures in this world that have been created by the ego, the egoic ignorance, the egoic consciousness, and many of them are not capable of change, not true, true change. And true change wants to happen in this world because there is a change in consciousness, but the old structures, which includes the politicians, the political structures, all those that are there in place, they are not capable of changing. This has also happened to a large extent to many religious structures. A lot of the, a large, to a large extent, the awakening of, the spiritual awakening of humans that is happening on the planet, especially in certain parts of the planet, much more than in others, most of that is not happening through the existing structures of the old religions but outside of the old structures. Some of it, if the structures are not too rigid, the old, some of the old structures may be able to, uh, to become vehicles for change also. In, there may be some Christian churches that are capable of that, of also being vehicles for the awakening. Some Buddhists some, and other religions, Sufis perhaps, then they are 
But a lot of it is happening outside these structures. It's an embryonic movement, whether it grows into something larger or whether it remains for a while on the mental level as a mental thing and then grows into something else. But I do feel certain that many movements for change are going to happen outside the existing structures. And this perhaps could be a beginning of that, of embryonic beginning of change that's happening outside the structures. Although because I say embryonic because it's still almost unformed yet. They don't know exactly, it's not focused on anything specific. There's just a general sense of not, not yet, hasn't clearly taken form yet, which is fine because everything, needs, there needs to be an organic growth to that. Yes, it could lead to something much bigger and other movements could arise inspired by that and then bring about change outside of the existing structures and even bring about collapse of certain existing structures, which would not be a bad thing, although many of the existing structures are actually going to bring about their own collapse, but that's a different matter. <laughs> the banking system and so on, they, they are very busy bringing about their own collapse. <laughs> so the, the danger is that uh, because the egoic consciousness is still floating around in the collective, of course, the danger is that some of these movements get hijacked by, again, by the old consciousness, although the impulse for it is, is a different state of consciousness, it's non-violent change. So there's always the danger when that happens that the, the ego takes over again and perverts it. That's, we have to just accept that that is a danger. It may not happen because there's a fairly widespread awakening on the planet, so on the whole, I feel it's a good and inevitable thing, and we'll have to see where it goes, what it grows into, or whether something totally different will arise somewhere else. But yes, change outside of the structures is definitely happening. And if you feel drawn to participation in some kind of movement, that's a good thing. The important thing, of course, is that you occupy the present moment while you participate so that you don't lose yourself in egoic reaction, that you can, you can embody that state of the state of presence. And so it's not only you, it's, it spreads from one individual spreads in the same way that an unconscious individual can draw others into unconsciousness. It's amazing when you, you can have a group of people discussing something and one person is deeply unconscious and five minutes later, everybody is shouting. <laughs> <laughs> but in a similar way, it can also happen that out of five people, one person is present and the entire energy field of the group can be elevated into greater presence. So it can go, go either way. Is Facebook an externalized form of the ego? It certainly bears enormous similarities, or is it just another vehicle which the ego has hijacked? <laughs> Well, of course, to a large extent, what you see, of course, is the ego, because 
majority of humans are still in the egoic consciousness and every human presents, as far as I can see, on Facebook presents an image of themselves that they have and that's their page or whatever it is. The image that to them looks good and of course that the ego is having an image of who you are. It's the Narcissus, Narcissus, the myth of Narcissus who looked into a pool of water and saw his own image and then became enamored with himself or rather obsessed with himself. Oh, it's me, me, this is me. Now, yeah, then you have an inner image, me, conceptual, then you have op ideas and opinions about me, it's me. <laughs> and then you have the moment you, your identity is in the me, then of course you inflict the same opinions on, on others. You are that. So the Facebook, you see the, the image of who they, that they want to present to the world. I have a Facebook page and I have once a week or so I have a posting. Now I must admit, I have an inner blockage, it seems, to, I still don't understand how exactly it works. So I have to send it to somebody in, the, in our office, my contribution, and he puts it onto my Facebook page and he tried to explain it to me. One day I will learn it, but I do look up sometimes the comments that people make after I post something. Some are totally weird, but some of them. <laughs> <laughs> but also many are quite lovely, that people are, are touched, they feel their life is changing, so there's a, there are more lovely ones than weird ones. And it's wonderful to see the feedback and see how people's lives are changing and or they say this is exactly what I needed to hear today, thank you so much, and, and that's beautiful. So here we are using the Facebook not in the service of ego, but in the service of taking humans beyond ego. There may not be anything inherently egoic in, in Facebook or on the internet, it could be used to amplify the ego and it can probably be also be used to help in the awakening. So far, probably to a, a large part of it is ego, but potentially it can be part of the awakening also. Not getting drawn into the electronic media as an addiction, there's a danger there that it can stimulate the mind to such an extent that it becomes addictive, even more addictive than watching television. And so I know of people who, youngsters who spend hours every day, can't get away from the screen. What's the next thing? And the next, and the next, and the next. So it's not all bad news. <laughs> I asked earlier, somewhat humorously whether there is perhaps a universal answer that answers all questions. And of course the universal answer that answers all questions is stillness. And it is spreading stillness that is in you now, right there, where you're not thinking, present. It's spreading in this world. 
It's getting into all kinds of places where I would have thought, no way. Stillness, of course, is only a word. Stillness is the dimension where thought is transcended, where the person is transcended. And if you haven't found the transcendence, you have missed the mark in this lifetime, which means the purpose of human existence. The purpose of human existence is not eating well, sense pleasure. There's nothing wrong with eating well. There's nothing wrong with sense pleasure. I'm just, it's not the purpose of human existence. The purpose of human existence is not comfort. There's nothing wrong with comfort, but it's not the purpose of human existence. The purpose of human existence is evolutionary. It's awakening. One could say to become fully human. We could say that most humans have not yet arrived at being fully human, if you want to use those terms. If you want to use different terms, you can say we are now transcending the human. Doesn't matter, it's the same thing. Fully human, yes, that's already, I believe, Chinese philosopher Confucius already spoke about becoming more fully human. So it's been, it started a long time ago, Buddha and so on, are many teachings, becoming fully human so that we no longer create hell on earth. If you're fully human, you don't create hell anymore around you and in your mind. So that's the purpose. And it doesn't mean that you're free of challenges. All the, all the challenges that you encounter are helpful in awakening. So we can be grateful for whatever it is that happens in your life when things go wrong, as they tend to do. So then the primary factor then is consciousness in your life. The rest is details. As Einstein said, I want to know the mind of God. The rest is details. And the rest, the details in your, as if you apply that to your life, is all the details of your life situation. Whatever happens, has happened, will happen, is happening. All those details of your life situation. But what's the mind of God? What does he mean? Consciousness. The primary factor is consciousness. That's who you are essentially, which what Jesus called the light of the world, consciousness. You are consciousness. You are formless, you are timeless. And knowing that, as having that as the basis of your life, that's awakening and that's the purpose of your life. What you do externally is secondary. The question is, are you awakening as you do whatever you do? And as whatever happens, happens. It doesn't matter whether you're in a, a VIP or doing something menial is secondary to as far as the arising of consciousness, the awakening is concerned. I'm Oprah Winfrey. And you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. 
Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening.